Welcome to the Restore Body Balance Podcast, where we take an integrative approach combining psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Miko Yutanis, co-producer of this podcast. In today's episode, we will discuss anti-inflammatory nutrients and diet, exploring stress and the inflammation connection. This is something you focus in on in your programs, Colleen. And if those of you listening want to view the program, you can visit us on the web at www.RestoreBodyBalance.com. And the best part is you can do the program remotely from anywhere. So how will we start up to approach this topic, Colleen? Well, Nico, I'm sure most of our listeners automatically associate the word inflammation with poor health. But that's only half of the battle in educating our listeners on its ill effects. There's actually a fairly complex interaction between pro and anti-inflammatory forces. And we need both to be in balance. So think about it. When you cut your hand or have a sore throat, your body is actually inflamed. You're having an inflammatory response to deliver more blood, nourishment, and or a defense attack to the area. Then following this inflammatory response, it is counteracted by an anti-inflammatory phase that is vital to regeneration and cell repair. So inflammation is actually a necessary part of the body's healing process? Yes, it's a natural response to injury or threat. And as we've said, it's beneficial, if not essential, while short-lived. For some though, the pro-inflammatory response stays on a low grade, so to speak. And this can go on for months to even years sometimes without you knowing until symptoms start to appear in the form of disease and illness. Now, I don't want to geek out again, but this is everything that I've learned across the lifetime, but specifically at the Benson Henry Institute at Mass General Hospital. See, chronic inflammation triggers the production of tumor necrosis factor alpha and nuclear factor kappa B interleukins, and well, basically I could go on and on. Let's just say we can now measure chronic inflammation in the form of a blood test to measure what we call C-reactive protein or CRP, which again, through a blood test, if it's at higher levels, the body is in distress and basically vulnerable. They call this the silent killer. Research now is focused on cardiovascular disease with higher CRP, but it's also having links to cancer. And again, the chronic inflammation has negative effects to even those that are most at risk, especially now with COVID-19. That's such an alarming statistic. And I'm sure stress plays a part as we often refer to the stress-based response with inflammation. But who else is at risk? Older age group, even when they're healthy, they're still at risk. Smokers, poor sleepers, those that have obesity issues, and of course, stress and diet are essential. So when we're stressed out and not eating properly, 
we are very vulnerable to inflammation. And that's why, as an integrative health coach, I discuss what we need to do to help antidote stress and lower the inflammatory response. So what are some of the diseases associated with chronic inflammation? Well, just to name a few, basically arthritis, autoimmune diseases, cancer, cardiovascular disease, kidney disease. There's certainly plenty of research now supporting its associations with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and you know, not to give another newsflash, Nico, but also in mental health disorders like depression and anxiety. Basically, as we said in our introduction, inflammation correlates directly with diet, stress, mind, and mood. Wow. So I know we have discussed the stress-based response before with inflammation, but this is an eye-opener. What we can do to stop chronic inflammation. I know you have often said the fight-or-flight mode is needed, but we just don't want to be chronically hanging out there. That's right, Nico. You know, let's just start with basic diet in terms of lifestyle. This is correlation number one in inflammation. We need to stop eating refined, processed, manufactured food for one. And lower our stress that we mentioned basically in every podcast. You know, I was trying not to have this podcast go on too long, but going back to my notes from Mass General, there is an overwhelming amount of research that supports the additives that we put in food that are designed to keep us hungry and going back for more. So again, this is really not our faults, but you know, inflammation that is quote unquote needed to fight off disease is important or if we're injured, but the chronic inflammation is what gets us into trouble. And the good news is that it's modified by our lifestyle habits that we're just about to discuss. And we can get things back on track, like food, allergies, prediabetes, stress, sleep, diet, and exercise. And of course, I will defer to our experts in inflammation, especially with a low inflammatory diet, Dr. Andrew Weil. He actually came up with an anti-inflammatory pyramid, just like we have with our pyramid here in the United States. What does this anti-inflammatory pyramid diet consist of? A lot of us might know the food pyramid that has been around for quite some time. Maybe it needs to be updated. Oh, it certainly does, Nico. And Dr. Weil is not shy from looking at what the FDA approves and what our listeners need to know about true food and nutrients and be very picky about reading labels. So Dr. Weil developed the anti-inflammatory food pyramid based off of the Mediterranean diet and some Asian diets, specifically incorporating foods and spices from the Japanese diet and Chinese diets. Here we can see what you put in your grocery cart can be more important than what's in your medicine cabinet. There's actually a study being developed now that's called Nutrigenomics. It's an exciting field on how what you eat influences your DNA, looking at what switches on certain genes and what switches them off. We can have an entire podcast on that alone. But let's start with Dr. Weil's food pyramid here. Anti-inflammatory food pyramid, I should say. Vegetables, both raw and cooked, from all parts of the color spectrum, and of course, organic when possible, are at the base of his pyramid. He suggests you consume these four to five times a day. 
And I know that seems like a lot, but it's not really hard. And we can have some maybe Q and A's at some point in time on Instagram or Facebook if people want to know some quick recipes on how I incorporate this many vegetables in on a daily basis. Yeah, we definitely will be doing a Q&A podcast sometime in the near future, so stay tuned for that on Instagram. And that's interesting that it specifies both raw and cooked, Colleen. It reminds me of what you actually educated me on, that kale sometimes is more nutritious when cooked than when raw. So what's the next component to this anti-inflammatory pyramid? Well, also fresh fruits like berries, which contain a great deal of antioxidants and are, again, to be consumed three to four times a day. They're also low on the glycemic index, which helps us to control spikes of insulin. And fruits and vegetables are not only low in calorie, but abundant sources of antioxidants, flavonoids, and other phytochemicals. We mentioned phytochemicals in a previous podcast for our listeners if they want to go back to that. That's entitled Food Equals Mood. And these phytochemicals are what give food their color. And again, they show time after time and in study after study, not only to promote good health, but aid in the prevention of diseases from cardiovascular to cancer. And of course, they help protect us against inflammation and studies have even supported reduced inflammation. Vegetables, especially the cruciferous veggies like broccoli and cauliflower, Brussels sprouts and cabbage are rich in compounds called glucosidolates, which have been shown to have both anti-cancer and anti-inflammatory effects. Then you have your dark leafy greens and vegetables that are brightly colored of red, orange and yellow that not only have the higher antioxidant compounds called carotenoid, but they also have studies that followed 4,500 men and women who had higher levels of this compound and of course had lower levels of that CRP marker that we mentioned in the beginning that correlates with inflammation in the body. Dr. Weil suggests berries, cherries, citrus, and believe it or not, even pineapple. And again, you know, this is all highly studied and scientifically based that even something like tart cherry juice at night helps as a sleep aid and of course calms inflammation. And in some other research trials, they looked at tart cherry juice at night and it actually can help better in pain relieving than some over-the-counter medications and drugs. Now research found that tart cherries might even aid in the treatment of osteoarthritis pain. And believe it or not, there's a recent study out of the Oregon Health and Science University that suggested tart cherries have the highest anti-inflammatory content of any food. Wow, that's awesome. I've actually tried tart cherry juice before for sleep. I'm not sure I noticed the effects, but I definitely liked the way it tasted. Now I'll be sure to pick up some more knowing that it has the highest anti-inflammatory content of any food. 
I know Trader Joe's actually sells tar cherry juice not from concentrate for a relatively cost-effective price. And the not from concentrate aspect is important because it shows that there are no added ingredients or syrups, kind of like what you mentioned before with the added ingredients. Yeah, Nico, and now that you're mentioning that, what might be a great idea is to actually take some of these suggestions in our podcast today and either put them on our website or our Instagram or Facebook page to where you can actually buy some of these products. I know we have my favorite store page on the website for Store Body Balance, but I think you're mentioning a good thing because it's easier when you know where to get them and especially at a good price. Exactly, that's a great idea. So stay tuned for that on the favorite products page. Okay, so let's get back to citrus fruits. Now, this is something that when you look at citrus fruits and their anti-inflammatory flavonoids, there was a 2011 study published in the journal Nutrition where researchers looked at 1,600 women and those with the highest levels of flavonoids also have the lowest levels of pro-inflammatory compound interleukin-18, which is a cytokine. And again, this is all the stuff that I learned at Mass General, which I won't bore our listeners with, but again, it's scientifically supported and evidence-based. Now, as far as citrus is concerned, I have a very funny story, Nico. One of my closest friends, Dr. Lisa Desai, is of Indian descent, specifically in Gujarati, and her mother is constantly, every day, telling her to eat pink grapefruits. And it's to the point where most daughters and moms, right, you hear the same thing over and over again. And she basically has said, you know, my mom has been telling me this since I was little. And now I'm like a grown woman with like a family of my own and enough with the pink grapefruits. But believe it or not, she is well into her 90s right now. She is a whiz at the stock market, cooks all of her own meals and exercises every single day. So you know what? Sometimes there's something to be said for not only our older generation, but cultures and mothers as well. That's awesome. It reminds me of the Blue Zones episode a while back. Maybe the Blue Zones project should investigate grapefruit juice or even interview her. That's a great one, Nico. I'm sure she'd love it. Well, let's move on to the next part of the pyramid, which would be legumes, beans, whole and cracked grains. And remember, that's not whole wheat, listeners. That's refined and pulverized carbohydrate. You know, when you have something that's in the flour form and you have the added sugar, we digest it very, very quickly. And then we have this spike in our blood sugar, which again, causes a reaction between protein and sugars, thus a pro-inflammatory response and making pro-inflammatory compounds. Whole grains are those that you can see. So just think about what that means. Whole grains or cracked grains, you see the whole grain. (laughs) So you look at whole oats, brown rice, bran, barley, bulgur, quinoa, and kasha. You know, it's a lot of the rage right now where you see ancient grains. Well, they're ancient because we haven't pulverized them. They're still whole grains. And again, the FDA does not disseminate this, but our listeners should know there is a difference between whole and cracked grains and those that are whole wheat flour. Wow, I never knew that. 
So what is the next component we should look into? Well, you know, we mentioned this in a previous episode when we compared different diets, but fat plays a role in inflammation. Fat gets a bad rap, right? Back in the 80s and the 90s, we had everything, you know, low fat, non-fat, and it was replaced with chemicals and sugar. Here, we want to look at an anti-inflammatory diet that has healthy fats such as olive oil. This is emphasized in Dr. Weil's pyramid, along with other sources of monounsaturated fats that counteract inflammation. So for example, omega-3s and omega-6s are essential for basically having our body function because we cannot manufacture them. We need to get them through food. So both types are polyunsaturated fatty acids, but their chemical structure is very different. Your body also creates hormones from omega-6 fatty acids, but the hormones built from omega-3s and 6s have very different effects on our health. Those created from omega-6 tend to have inflammation, blood clotting issues, cell proliferation, and those with omega-3s actually decrease those functions. So it's kind of like a balancing act. We do need them both, but they both need to be in balance. Our listeners should also cut back on refined oils, especially those extracted from grains and seeds. We also see these refined oils in our snack foods, cookies, crackers, and sweets. So eliminating these foods and adding foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids, like those found in cold water fish, ground flax, and walnuts. What are some examples of the refined oils that we see in snacks, foods, cookies, etc.? Oh, Nico, it's probably pick up, go to your cabinet and look at any box. You know, you have your hydrogenated oils, you have soybean oils, any of these oils, again, if, if it's not made with something that's basically healthy, like avocado oil or olive oil, those are really the healthiest oils, uh, flaxseed oil. Um, you don't want, especially, you know, this is where everything comes down to GMO. Most of our grains, most of our corn, which we end up getting corn oil from, and a lot of our soybean oil is GMO based. So we have to be really careful. So that's a really great question. Thank you for answering that. And it's funny, I think a lot of the positive components are in my favorite avocado toast that I eat every day, and I didn't even know it. And if those of you listening want to try it to add some variety, my avocado toast consists of two slices of Dave's bread, which I don't know if it's whole grain or whole wheat, I don't know where it stands on that, but I add avocado, hummus, some flaxseed, nutritional yeast, and capers. It's melt-wateringly good, and it seems to contain many of these anti-inflammatory ingredients. But going back to the pyramid, what's next, Colleen? Well, I'm still thinking about your avocado toast. <laughs> I never even thought to add capers. I love that zip. I put red pepper flakes on mine. But, you know, you also have the hummus, you have flaxseed, and if you grind it, it's even better. And nutritional yeast will have, oh my goodness, I mean, make sure, you know, if you're looking at if it's fortified or not fortified, I could go on and on. Um, and Dave's bread is great only because it, he does add a lot of those extra nutrients. So if you are going to have bread, you know, that's, that's one to go for. So that's awesome. Um, 
going to go make that tomorrow or maybe after the podcast. <laughs> um, okay. So what's next? Well, of course, he loves fish and seafood like wild Alaskan um, wild salmon and Alaskan black cod. There's something about being in the cold water that gives them more of the fat, which we need in terms of healthy fats and our omegas and sardines. I know that that sounds terrible, but you know, just Google putting sardines and things from a Caesar salad to melting them in olive oil in a pan. It adds a richness and you really don't get that fishy taste. So more on that at another time. We also want to look at, again, this is Dr. Weil's approach. I know everybody has a different bent. He looks at soy foods such as edamame, soy nuts, soy milk, tofu, and tempeh. And he's a big fan of cooked Asian mushrooms in unlimited amounts. I learned this while at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. A doctor, um, which I'll have to come back to to give him full credit, mentioned how important mushrooms are to our diet. And he said, that the New York Times should be running front page ads for women just consuming a cup of mushrooms a day for its anti-breast cancer properties. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the mushrooms. Make sure you're being careful with your mushrooms and you're cooking your mushrooms like your wild ones, especially uh, Portobello, he suggests uh, cooking those. So going to the pyramid, tip here, I guess we could say, we could look at other sources of protein such as natural cheeses, low-fat dairy, and again, omega-3 enriched eggs, skinless poultry, and lean meats. And he has that just about one to two times a week in his pyramid. And again, going back to eggs, I had this big discussion with my mother because I visited her this weekend in the Adirondacks. You really want to buy free range chickens that your eggs are from there because you don't want them being fed grain or corn. And again, they've gotten very clever with that too because they could say non-GMO grain. They can be free range. That doesn't mean they're pasture raised. So again, that's probably another whole podcast, but I just, I'm amazed at what, you know, our listeners might not know. I mean, I certainly didn't know any of this until I was at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and my, my constant search for information, evidence-based, but I digress. Let's get back to the, the tippy top, which is he loves to use all kinds of herbs and spices to add flavor and for medicinal properties like garlic and turmeric, cinnamon, and of course, drinking lots of healthy water. If you don't have the filtration system, try to get one or get a Brita. And we had an episode on teas, how important white tea is and green tea and oolong teas. And you know, there's your mindful moment right now. Sip away. We, we talked about that before. Sit, sip and swallow. You know, you can have an, a mindfulness and meditative moment just having a cup of tea. And I'm a big fan of his supporting of taking supplements as needed. We also talked about that when we talked about our podcast a couple weeks ago, Nico, where we recommended some supplements and especially our B vitamins. And like we said today, our omegas that we need if we can't get them through food. That's great. And going back to the marketing thing, paying attention to the marketing 
terminology is so important when choosing what products to eat and what products to even buy. We could even have another podcast episode on that. But going back to the food pyramid, I hear there's also room for red wine and chocolate. I know our local wine press has plenty to say about the benefits of Reservatol. That's right, and Aaron and Jody will hopefully be on in a couple of weeks to discuss really how wine is made and how it's very different in Europe and other countries as opposed to how it's, you know, sort of manufactured and in some ways I use that term and the differences with organic wine. So looking forward um, to that with the wine press. And of course, we cannot ever say enough about the benefits of resveratol, which is what's in red wine. So we have the diet piece in terms of controlling inflammation, but what else can we do? You mentioned stress and sleep in the beginning of the podcast. That's right. You know, we have to look at keeping things very simple. You know, we often talk about eliciting the relaxation response, but the other thing you can simply do, which we talked about, is my personal acronym, which is called ONE, which is to observe your thoughts, negate the negative ones, and echo your positive statement, or even something as simple as stop, breathe, reflect, and choose. So we want to look at not only first eliciting the relaxation response through breath work, meditation, and mindfulness, but that gets us into the parasympathetic nervous system where we are amenable to change, where we can actually negate those thoughts in one and actually reflect when we stop, breathe, reflect, and choose. And as we've said in you know other parts of the lower brain, we looked at this part of the brain being activated when in the stress-based response. So in that network, the amygdala is activated first, Nico, setting off a cascade of stress-related changes in the body. It then redirects the neurons from self-regulation to activate other neurons in the lower limbic system, which is the part of the brain that controls our emotions. Then this redirection leads to oxidative stress and the cellular release of inflammatory molecules. So hormones such as epinephrine, cortisol, well, they take charge and they signal their changes such as an increased heart rate and of course, lowered immune system. Again, this activation is great if you need to get out of danger but it can lead to long-term damage as you put wear and tear on the body and the brain. So that's the correlation with Alzheimer's and of course with dementia. That's allostatic loading and the bottom-up network becomes more easily triggered and then of course more difficult to shut off. But learning to get into the relaxation response alters these signals and it strengthens the top-down processing or what we refer to as neuroplasticity. And that's why the Restore Body Balance programs are designed to focus on attitudes and lifestyle behaviors that enhance coping and buffering stress through the mind-body connection and mind-body interactions. You have explained that you explore the many ways stress affects our thinking, our emotions, our bodies, our behaviors, and our relationships. Yes, Nico, and we start with looking at your core beliefs 
then establishing a foundation of stress awareness. That leads into developing adaptive strategies to buffer and manage stressful situations or thoughts. And since we talk about this a great deal, I will skip the stress-based response and relaxation response. Our listeners can go to those other podcasts, but we do need to look at the oxidative stress because that is affecting us at a deep cellular level. So for psychological stress, it leads to oxidative stress. And our stress seeps into us again at a deep cellular level. And as a result, we need more oxygen. And this oxidative stress will eventually uncover your disease vulnerability. But we can antidote stress by eliciting the relaxation response by a mindfulness, meditation, and breathing. Our latest research shows actual changes in gene expression, Nico. Proteins and enzymes are different when we are evoking the relaxation response. We can reverse cellular aging. We can change, again, gene activity in terms of what genes are turned on and off and mitigating and even reversing disease. So when you look at both what we put in our body in terms of nutrients, we are literally building our body. Everything we put in our mouth, we are building our body. And again, it's at a cellular level. And just thinking bad thoughts, thinking stressful thoughts, puts us into the stress-based response, thus giving oxidative stress and inflammation. And I'm sure sleep and support is so necessary, but our listeners can go directly to those podcasts for more information. Yes, Nico, we did a great one on sleep and of course on support in terms of either going to one of our programs, restorebodybalance.com or reaching out to a health coach or a therapist. And let's not forget the gut microbiome. We have inflammation here that also leads to GI issues, which believe it or not, As we say, serotonin is actually manufactured in our gut, not our brain. So not only does inflammation lead to GI issues, but also stress and anxiety. And as we said in that podcast, in the gut microbiome, it's a bi-directional process, right? So we have to look that when the gut gets inflamed, so does the brain. And when the brain gets inflamed, that affects the body. But again, good news listeners, we have these adaptive factors and treatments that we just mentioned. The mind-body techniques that we often mention are not only statistically proven and evidence-based, but it helps us get off medications. And again, medications are out there, so please listeners, don't go off your medications. But just look at some of these adjunct therapies, right? So if somebody does have high blood pressure or cholesterol, you want to stay on your medications, but that let's look at this whole body approach and see if we can start to kind of maybe work with your primary care, your cardiologist to get some adaptive strategies. And again, we also look at the profound effects it has on our physiology. That's such an important part of it, regaining control of our mind and our body. So thank you, Colleen. You've informed us about the anti-inflammatory diet and the tremendous way it impacts our lives. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Restore Body Balance podcast. If you want to hear more from us, you can click the subscribe button, or you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com to hear more about our programs and read the book on change. See you next time.